0: Hello, hello, and welcome uh, to Penny for a Tale. Uh, my name is Mitchell, um, and this is a show that explores tabletop role-playing games, anything and everything. We jump into everything. Um, first off, I'd like to welp- welcome our super awesome, uh, I'm super ec- ecstatic, as you can kind of tell, um, Darcy Ross, who is the Community Relations Coordinator for Monty Cook Games. But not only that, she is an Evo Devo biologist, uh, snail aficionado, gamer, and amateur mixologist. Uh... <laughs> there we go. All right, can you speak again? I think I had you muted there. Ooh, there happy we go. to
1: be here. Yep. Awesome. <laughs>
0: awesome. We're we're good to go. Yeah. Um, so for everyone who. Um, I guess, who is not like me and doesn't follow Monty Cook Games, Invisible Sun, uh, and, you know, ev- everything that, that you've been doing up for, like, the past couple of years. Uh, can you just say who you are?
1: Absolutely. So uh, for folks who don't know Monty Cook Games, we make a, uh, a variety of, of games that originated with Numenera, which is how I sort of initially found the company. So uh, Monty Cook is uh, was instrumental in a lot of uh, Dungeons & Dragons from third edition, from second edition. Um, he wrote a lot of cool Planescape material, um, a really wild, plain, mind-bendy second edition setting. Um, but he's also, you know, uh, Dove off and has created a number of other sort of passion projects and Montecook Games sort of sprung out from that uh, And now we have a, a whole little little company of, of great people that I get to work with um so Numenera was the game that sort of started us all, and it was a, uh, a game set um, on Earth a billion years in the future. And so the idea is that all these civilizations came to enormous technological prowess uh, and then died or ascended or left. And so you play humans sort of back on Earth, um, exploring these ruins of these uh, this ancient technology so advanced as to seem like magic, right? And so, as a scientist at heart, um, that is uh, such an interesting evolutionary question. That's such an interesting scientific question. It it asks, um, it it requires you to be really scientifically curious. So um, I fell totally in love from there. And uh, since uh, producing Numenera, the role-playing game. We've also made the cipher system, sort of a generic engine that you can use to play any game. Uh, and we've built uh, Invisible Sun, which is, is a really cool, weird passion project of Monty's that I also love. Um, and also No Thank You Evil, which is a game for kids and families from ages like four and up. Uh, and it's really cute. So we, we sort of have a, 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 a I, I would say, like, we have similar sensibilities underneath all of these different projects but we do have quite a range of um, settings we like to explore and sort of um stories we like to engage in so i think that's us i think that's monty cook games yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and i know my, my own son's very excited i think he wants to start off with invisible sun
1: oh uh, all right yeah yep. i mean he's
0: less than a year old right now so i, I don't completely trust his judgment but uh, you know <laughs>
1: does he want the hand
0: yeah he wants the hand he loves the cards (laughs) he loves the box that's why it's up there where he cannot reach it ah good call
1: (laughs) you know you've got to you got to work your way up to invisible sun exactly
0: you gotta train (laughs) Um, (laughs) gotta get
1: tall enough to hold the box
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so um you were just kind of hop into this uh you've spoken of the parallels between plant care and care in the hobby yeah Uh, but something I picked up on was, you know, and I think that you were trying to convey is that, you know, forgiving oneself when you fail. Mm-hmm. What do you do when you feel you have failed a gaming group and how oh. do you recover?
1: What a great question. I think about failure a lot, especially as a scientist, because that's mostly what I did all day, every day. You know, failing is, uh, is part of the game. And, and if you're not failing, it means you're probably stagnating. So um, I, I'm, I like to think that I embrace failure more than I actually do, (laughs) but, but when it happens, um, I think the first thing that I've learned to do when I feel like I've, I've made some big misstep or I have a session where either as a player or a GM, you know, I just feel like I I wasn't, I didn't like bring it or I, I, I did something that sort of threw things off kilter. Um, I, I first remind myself that, um, I have a really limited perspective. I only have my own perspective to reach off of. and um, other people's experiences may not align with how I think the, the session went. So one of my first things to do is to talk to my fellow players. And so uh, you know if, if I'm feeling like really hot about it and, and stressed out, I'll you know try to give myself some time. But a lot of times what I find is a session that I think went really badly, right? Like, you know, if I'm GMing and I see people tuning, what, what looks like to me tuning out or, you know, uh, especially if you're not running comedy where like you get that feedback of laughter, mm-hmm. it can be hard for me to tell who's engaged and um, how they're in- interpreting the gameplay. And so my first step is to to ask the players. So how do you think that went? You know, don't even give them leading questions. Just ask, you know, open it up. You know, what what was it? And um you know, Sometimes people like don't know how to give an answer and so a lot of times I use the tool uh, a rose and a thorn So I asked each player or fellow player Hey, could you say something that you really liked about the session and something that could have been better? And um, we go around and say a quick little thing and a lot of times what I find is I'm surprised by the answers and so a lot of times the things that I think were my big failures Actually didn't register at all to the players or they had no idea um, and so I found first of all that a lot of my failures um, aren't failures in the other people's eyes. Um, And so that helps take the stress off a lot. And then I think the other thing I try to do Um, you know, even if people are like, oh yeah, that felt really off. And, you know, we talk about why I always like to keep the focus on, okay, you know, this is a great learning opportunity. I'm going to learn to be a better player, a better GM. Like I, I try to immediately not like wallow in the sadness of having failed. And I try to ask and kind of workshop some techniques of things that could be better in the future. And I find that a lot of times, you know, my players are excited, to tell me, you know, techniques they've learned or ideas they have, and so it becomes this like collaborative learning process instead of me wallowing about how sad I am that I failed everyone, <laughs> which is how I used to do it. Oh, yeah, but now, yeah. but now I yeah. So that's that's my approach. I think I a lot of talking to my players or talking to trusted you know friends afterward mm-hmm. too, and kind of debriefing.
0: Is that how you kind of recover as well, or do you have something kind of a little set apart to?
1: Good question. Um, I I think I I do. I really like talking through talking things through, and so sometimes you know it's not actually talking things through with my fellow players, but sometimes it is talking with with a friend, sort of an objective person, where I see, so, you know I'm sort of re-explaining the situation, and uh, some a lot of times like some emotions will come up, um, but. You know, I am sort of I've stepped back enough away from the the situation that now that I'm talking to this third party, I can sort of get to the root of a matter. Um, but I think there's also a place for like mind bleach sometimes. Sometimes like, you know, I just had a, a rough session and I'm really worn out and I'm going to put some Parks and Rec on and I think that's <laughs> really valid too. You know, just um, something that makes you happy and perks you back up can can give me a little space that I need. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. And so you've been writing about the tabletop industry for, for some time. Um, and, you know, you, uh, I believe it was, was it last year or two years ago where you kind of hopped on to like the uh, the streaming and the jamming the, the in front of people and an audience?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. um so, yeah, probably about two years ago.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, you, you guys came out with this uh, new book, uh, Your Best Game Ever. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm curious at, at what point or at, uh, what kind of um, things uh, light up in like a GM's history career that says, "Hey, I need to take it to, I guess the the next level and, and start reading"? Because you have um, mm. you have a, a wonderful plethora of uh, our, like GM advice uh, books that you've been reading, and it's been mm-hmm. amazing checking out all the stuff that you, you you've read. Um, but you know, take it away.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> I think. One thing that definitely your best game ever emerged out of is the fact that um, there there are a lot of some really great books um, and resources available for sort of GMs to kind of up their craft, um, but there are at least fewer. They're not you know non-zero, but but fewer resources that are about um, kind of the overall play experience, about being a good player, about being a good player when you're starting out, when you're trying to um, sort of you know, the 101 class, the sort of more advanced class for techniques you can use as a player. And the idea that, um, there are some aspects of playing tabletop role-playing games that, uh, we should probably be thinking about the GM more as a player than we mm-hmm. often do. Um, be, you know, so your best game ever, uh, dies into things like you know, hosting a game and handling like interpersonal disputes that might come up. You know, how do you, how do you handle uh, a a person, whether they're the GM or a different player um, who for, for several reasons might not be a good fit for the group right now. And, you know, I think the answer a lot of times is like, talk to your group and, and yes, that's all very helpful. But what I like about your best game ever is it gives like specific kind of um, phrases that you can. That you know, it starts to plug in some of the ways that you can open up that conversation, and so rather than just saying talk to your players, it's like you know here's some, you know f- you know here's some specific advice or specific phrases that keep it focused on like mm-hmm. the game and not the person. And It just seems like really useful kind of social uh, um, social tools, I guess, and so. Um, we, you know, your best game ever is a, is a big honkin' book. It's got a <laughs> bunch of sections. Um, but, but one thing I like about it is that it it does try to touch on, I think it has a lot to offer for someone who is watching all these streams, right. And wants to get to play their first game or GM their first game. Yeah. And this book gives you a lot of the the tools and gets you kind of going from zero to 60 much faster, but it also has a lot of like, uh, sort of next level tools or um, advice on online play or advice on some of these kinds of play that even if you've been gaming a long time, you might not have tried yet. Uh, so I, I think it's you know, the hope was that it could be a book for, like, pretty much everybody, which is a big hope. But I, I think because we brought on so many collaborators uh, who helped write on it, like um, a bunch of streamers, like uh, Eric Campbell and uh, Matt, uh, the, several several of the streaming Matt's, Matt Colville. <laughs> All the mats. <laughs> All the mats And uh, Tanya De Pass and Ajit George and, like, really cool like comic artists who are also, you know, think about gaming. Like, um, Aviv Orr does up to four players. And, uh, and so you know they're doing comics, but they've been thinking about you know gameplay for a long time. So they have a really cute uh, comic in the book. <laughs> so I, I guess that's like I my my thesis statement is that um, no matter where you're at in gaming, I think you should at least take a look through sort of the preview of your best game ever and see if there's something that piques your interest. Because I think we've built it where it's pretty yeah. pretty interesting to everybody.
0: Definitely. And, uh, for Charizard, thank you for the bits. Uh, we are currently talking about, uh, your best game ever, uh, James Corp. Um, (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, and we will be, uh, we have a, if folks are asking where they can get it, um, we have pre-orders up on our website right now. So if you go to yourbestgameever.com, it'll redirect you right there. And, uh, we do have a, a little like fulfillment center to help us, um, Get to sort of the uk area so hopefully shipping uh won't be too bad so hopefully you should be able to get it there but also (laughs) a bunch of um retailers should be carrying it too so go ask your friendly local gaming store and uh, hopefully they'll carry it yeah
0: get it james yeah (laughs) amazing stuff which is uh, uh, awesome because we had a a talk a couple months ago about you know uh this whole you know talking to your players and everything and it's amazing Mm -hmm. to finally uh, have someone to kind of say all right what are the techniques and stuff so definitely um, yeah check the book out
1: <laughs> yeah there's a, there's free previews go check it out um, I'm really really excited and it's getting an audiobook edition which was like I listened to a lot of audiobooks so I, I was like really rooting for it the kickstarter funded it so Rudy Basso I think is is recording that um, in, in pretty far along. So that'll be releasing too.
0: Oh, that is so awesome. I, I've always felt that every game book should be on Audible.
1: Right? <laughs> I, I think so. And, um, you know, MCG has been, uh, when I got hired by MCG, we started doing some cool Twitch content or, or sort of ramping that up. And uh, I'm, it's like, it is. It is waiting for a day when I have a little more time than I currently have. But like, I really want to take some of those actual plays and bring them to podcast form, because my start was it more in podcasting than mm-hmm. than streaming anyway. So I always love doing the dishes and walking around and people gaming in my ears.
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I need to put all this to podcast. So that's been a process. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: it's it's a whole situation. So um, you have nothing but sympathy for me. <laughs>
0: Uh, so Davidson asked when is the audiobook coming out they're pretty excited about that
1: oh I'm so so glad uh you're excited as I am um it so the your best game ever is uh about to be you know ready I think pre-orders end on the 17th of July and then uh it'll be a little bit and then it'll probably be shipping out to pre-orders and then up for general sale at the end of the month um the audiobook I know is in um sort of like late stages of being recorded. But uh, I've never been a part of creating an audiobook before. So <laughs> unfortunately, I don't exactly know the steps that have to happen after that, and if there's like a delay for getting it up on Audible. Um, yeah. We have put several novels up on Audible, so I'm sure somebody in the company knows. But it's not me. Sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, and hopefully, James, it does sound like it will eventually be on Audible. I so think you can so. Yeah. check it
1: out, yeah. hopefully.
0: <laughs> yeah, I
1: believe so. That's where our other audiobooks have gone. Yay.
0: Yeah, and uh, chat feel free to ask questions I will get to them as soon as possible Um, but okay moving on to the next question Uh, you've worked with Contessa an organization that helps get minorities and and marginalized voices represented Mm -hmm. in in tabletop games Mm -hmm. do you have any advice as to ways that every tabletop gamer GM player could be more inclusive at their table
1: oh goodness that is such a wonderful question um you know, inclusivity can cover so many, you know, types of categories. And I was just thinking the other day, um, I, I'm going to start with an anecdote rather than answering you, yeah, but you I promise ahead. I'll be fast. <laughs> um, so uh, a big reason that I got into Numenera was because um, I have I have a tattoo of, of the symbol from before they hired me. I'm a big Numenera, you know, fan. But part of what drew me in was that I saw myself in the book. You know, the art was super, uh, you know, reverse, represented a lot of diverse, like, you know, skin tones and, and facial like um, structures that suggested to me like a really, like a really diverse population, which which I love. And um, also in the in the stories, in the book, in the setting, you know, there were women who were villains and there were women who were uh, heroes and there were women who were uh, somewhere in between. And, and so just like the breadth of depictions of kinds of people really helped like make me feel like this is the most inclusive RPG I've ever seen. And so it made me really wanna play But I also think, so I was looking at um, a really great supplement we did, uh, or Shauna Germain wrote a a couple years back called Love and Sex in the Ninth World. And so it's about, hey, you know, it's it's sort of general advice on dealing with themes of love and sexuality and sex in your role-playing games, and specifically in the you know, weird, really um, disparate kind of diverse place that is the ninth world of Numenera. And um, and I was looking at that supplement, which I love, and I, I still think there's really nothing that's been written to date that covers that topic in gaming as well. But, um, you know, if it were written today, there probably would have been a little more like inclusive pronoun usage mm-hmm. and and talk talks about pronouns in a way that is part of the conversation today and wasn't, you know, Five years ago, or it wasn't like, hadn't bubbled up to that being the expectation. So I'm reminded that, like, uh, you know, you're never perfect, and there's always ways that will improve, and there's ways that I'll look back upon my behavior, you know, in five years and go, oh my goodness, I was really like behind the times on this or that. So my advice on how every uh, gamer can sort of improve inclusivity at their table is to keep an open mind about not knowing what. Um, you might need to be better inclusive about so I, I would say like don't assume you kind of know the categories that you need to be be good about And so I think the only way to solve that is is by having um, opportunities to talk to your players about it, right to check in. Um, I think like I think part of that so in invisible Sun there's this, Mechanic called character summaries that you do at the end of every session, and what happens is you—it's sort of it's a little bit of a roses and thorns, but in character, right? So, you know, I played the cicatrix, and uh, the cicatrix feels this way about this aspect of of play, and this way about another aspect of play. And Monty designed it because he's an introvert, and um, what he found was introverts at his game would sometimes be kind of quiet during the session. But when he gave them the opportunity to speak on it, he, they revealed this like complex, wonderful, internal <laughs> experience they've been having. And so having a space where people can kind of voice those roses, those thorns, in character, out of character, I think will get people feeling comfortable enough to talk about ways they want the game to shift and ways that they want um, the behavior to shift. So um, it can be really hard to put people on the spot, like, how could I be better inclusive? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I think if you, if you sort of lead and say, oh, I was thinking, you know, I, I I seem to default to like male NPCs if I'm not thinking about it. And, and so I'm going to try to watch that. And if you talk about that to your players, if you're the GM or, or, or a player, like if you brought that up to your group, I think they would be like, oh yeah, that's a thing we could watch out for. And I know you're specifically trying to get better. And so I will feel comfortable to bring it up to you. That's my hope. Um, sort of creating that safe dis- discourse for people to bring up how to be better uh, for them specifically.
0: yeah, and it's it's definitely um, something people should be conversing about all the time. just so yeah, that, you know it's it's a lot there. And the more we talk about it, you know the, the more the more people are are getting into it and more knowledgeable about it too.
1: Uh, yeah, and I, I definitely like encourage you to, um, I'm a big cheerleader. <laughs> So like I'm always like when I see someone like when a GM or a player does something I love I'm like telling them that instant I'm like or I'm trying to be quiet to not interrupt the narrative but my face is like oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so as much as inclusivity and getting better is is telling people like what they could do better what they can improve I think like acknowledging when people do something good or are making good strides or like oh yes this feels like really good to me like tell your fellow players they will appreciate it so. Awesome yeah
0: uh so david said 925 says how does uh feel about her ghost girlfriend
1: awesome (laughs) uh the cicatrix is a character who i played in our the raven wants what you have uh, stream our actual play of invisible sun um and uh, i play a character who has had an experience with the pale so uh presumably she died (laughs) and is back now and not a ghost. So question mark, question mark, question Ooh. mark, bad story. Um, but she has a girlfriend who is a ghost and who is out in the pale. And uh, um, and so I have a lot of feelings about that. <laughs> and Ken Davidson, uh, who is Davidson925, uh, did this amazing uh, cosplay with me at Big Bad Con last year as my ghost girlfriend, oh, Ori. Oh, that's awesome. And it was the best. It was like the coolest I have ever felt uh we took some really great pictures and so uh i don't have it you know until about like the last two you know year and a half or something i did i really love themes of like romance and relationships but like as a player i really struggle to kind of like know how to engage in that and to get it started and so the raven wants what you have was like a big even though the the sort of girlfriend feelings was a bit of a backstory thing and didn't Mm -hmm. come to the, the forefront a lot Um, I had a lot of internal experience thinking about it, right? And so I think, like, uh, I highly recommend everyone get a ghost girlfriend in one of their RPGs. Uh, (laughs) I feel great about it, and the cicatrix feels great about it, and probably has some elaborate, you know, uh, probably illegal (laughs) scheme to go see the girlfriend more. So.
0: That is super awesome. And I guess that, that kind of that's a nice segue to, mm-hmm. to my next question. Um, so, A Woman with Hollow Eyes, uh, yes. the interactive streaming actual play <laughs> of Invisible Sun. Super excited. Coming out the second season, right, in 2020. Yes. Uh, just finished up on Kickstarter a couple months ago. Um, what teasers are you willing to <sighs> divulge concerning season two?
1: Good question. So, the the um the sort of product the like the pdf accompaniment Mm -hmm. uh for a woman with hollow eyes is is still coming probably at the beginning of next year but we did film all of season two so we did stream that uh but i think a lot of people haven't uh watched it yet um there are huge differences between a woman with hollow eyes and the raven wants what you have Mm -hmm. and i think there's going to be huge there already is huge differences between everybody else who's streaming this show so i i I think it's been really cool to see how wildly different in tone, in story, in pace, in content uh, this, these games are. And so uh, I will say for for people who watch A Woman with Hollow Eyes season one, um, it was really cool. It was, uh, I had a, a blast. I, I loved it a lot, but I was not, I did not have the black cube for any of that. <laughs> and so uh, there were, there was just like, you know, season two, I finally get the black cube. I pull out props, you know, we get to play with the the whole physical experience. And so that was huge as, You know, it was cool to see how much it influenced it. Um, I would use the guiding hand as like the GM notebook. That's in there. It's really cool. So good. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) And it's got like little um, ideas and like NPC names you can throw in a given session. And so I used some of those. Um, I riffed off a lot with um, backers. So backers really helped me craft that whole season. Um, Same with season one, but season two, like even more so maybe. (laughs) Um, But what I will say is, there's a there's a point in season two where the players somehow like I had Invisible Sun, a game of surreal fantasy, magic, and secrets. Uh, it, it posits that the world around us is a lie, and that the real world is the actuality where magic is real, where you play magical nerds uh, fiddling with you know reality and maybe making emotional cupcake stores. Great. Uh, <laughs> There are secrets, Uh, there's a secrets folder in the black cube that the GM only is allowed to read. Um, I didn't have it for season one and uh, I avoided it like the plague for season two just because like, I don't know, I was nervous and like the game, you know, everybody told me that the game would be really different once you read the secrets and they were right. Um, But I basically hadn't read it and unknowingly my, players and I were sort of playing to a very particular truth about the world. And so at one point we like, we, we announced this all over the, the episode, but I, I, we do engage with one of those like kind of game changing secrets. So I know a lot of, uh, a number of people stopped watching at that point, And I think <laughs> that was the right choice. I think you have all of season one to enjoy and, uh, some of season, most of season two. Um, but at some point we engage with a secret and, uh, uh so spoilers ahoy at the end of that season if you're not a gm you're not allowed to watch (laughs) (laughs) sorry um i i struggled about whether to deal with that but the players had unknowingly played so well into that secret that there was just i felt there was nothing i could do but i tried to warn people a lot so pretty fun pretty wild pretty game-breaking uh Oh my gosh, it was great. <laughs> that
0: sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was really good.
0: <laughs> um, so you know, what was the process like kind of setting up season two and prepping for it and getting yeah. ready? I mean, now you have the black cube, so mm-hmm. everything's changed.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I so my my process uh, because I, I live on the south side of Chicago and the, the streaming studio is up on kind of the north side. My, I feel like my process was, um, it alternated between like, you know, calls with backers who were helping me shape certain mm-hmm. episodes in the arc. And so I would have these sort of workshopping sessions with some of the backers and we would outline some ideas we had and, um, like beats we wanted to hit. And, uh, so I would, I would have those and then on my way to each session, I would have some idea, uh, but often like i would like listen to music on the l and i would like get in zone and like think about things i would go to the ritual coffee shop shop uh really a really cool weird yeah exactly (laughs) record playing coffee shop i would have like a chai latte i would sit down and i would like thumb through pages and pages and just like i would kind of let some, you know, something from the path, which is kind of like the setting book or something from um, later on secrets of silent streets, which is like an expanded setting book. I would like, like let some of these locations wash over me or ideas or like, um, NPCs. And I think it, it sort of would coalesce from there. So I would always have like a tiny little note card of like NPCs I wanted to bring in or plot points I wanted to hit. And, uh, I would say 50, 50, it would get thrown out the window as something new happened, uh, but I—that was my process. It was really fun. Um, I find that there's a there's a ton of resources in that mm-hmm. black cube, exactly for that purpose—to basically um, prepare you with cool locations, hooks, um, NPCs, and ideas to react to the players when they yeah. bring you stuff, because it's a very reactive system, as you know. So I, I would just try to think of like. <laughs> cool things that could happen at some point, cool people that could be doing stuff. And the idea of kind of like, if the players do nothing, what happens, you know? <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. And I really love the uh, the, the GM, uh, the little notebook with the names. Uh, I was using those names all the time. Oh,
1: nice. Oh, that's that's great to hear. <laughs> like every I, session. I mean, honestly, when I first started GMing, that was one of the things I struggled with most was like, and I, I just think when you, when you learn to GM for the first time, everybody's different in what's going to be hard for them and I was like names oh my god our name's hard
0: yeah same same with me one of the villains for a uh, world of darkness game his name was Greg
1: oh yep yep uh. <laughs> oh my gosh I would always like string together like almost unpronounceable like phonemes together right and then I could never remember them and so uh I love that Like, and so like one of you know one of my GM prep things that I do for most games is like to just have a a list of like some names that I can use, and if I'm running like Numenera or something, some like weird things that I could sprinkle in the background.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, And so I love that like basically those two things are already built into your like little session by session page Mm -hmm. as a GM. Oh, yeah, I love that you're using it too. Good. Yeah,
0: it's a, like I'm horrible with names, and yeah. it has created some so amazing hard. NPCs and nice little story hooks too. So it was amazing.
1: Ah, I'm <laughs> so glad. Uh, how how far are you into the campaign or into running it?
0: Uh, oh man, so I was running it about uh, every other week. I think we had about nice. seven or eight sessions. I've taken a break to stream because okay. this has been like a recent thing. Nice. Uh, but my players are poking me to be like, when, are, when oh. are we doing the thing?
1: Have you done development mode at all? My uh, favorite oh, part of Oh, development. With
0: some people, yes. Yes, cool. that is amazing. And it's it's one oh. of my... I, I love a game that kind of emphasizes the in-between and, and yes. what you're doing and stuff like that. That's always been a huge, important part of, uh, I think, utilizing skills that are normally not used in like a, a session.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: like baking, or you know, or yeah, just, you know, just so much stuff.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, development mode is is the you know there's a lot of really cool game design in in the black cube, uh, and you know it just when you open that thing it's just so clear that it's like a labor of love of Monty right like all you know the the spiral bound notebook like he was like because it lays flat and it can like you know, totally yeah. <laughs> wrap around. So you can actually use it at the table if you're space limited, all the little details, but development mode is the thing that I m- am most kind of desperate to bring to other games. Um, it's just, it's, um, it's quick, beautiful little vignettes of um, what's happening with your different characters in between sessions. And so you use the sooth deck, the sort of tarot yes. deck thing to like, you know, so I always love the example of like, uh, if I'm playing with a thief um, you know the, the thief solo heist is like a great thief moment in like a, a movie but it's like super sucks for the other players yeah, yeah. Um, they can't you know participate and they're at the table waiting and so it's perfect for development mode and so I always love the idea that you're like I always love like setting up a heist and like okay your plan to get around the guards is x and you're going to do this and you're going to wait for this and you're bringing in this demon and then I, and we go okay now like how <laughs> does it actually go and you draw a card and it just always seems to inspire all these cool ideas so um I loved Feldman Mode.
0: Yeah, and the Sooth <laughs> deck is amazing. I, I love the just, just drawing it and seeing what it'll impact on the scene. Yeah. There, oh, or totally. Yeah, it's just one of my favorite I, things.
1: Always pulling it for inspiration. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I probably should plug that Invisible Sun has been out of stock for quite a while. Um, we, we had to do um, another print. We funded another print run with Kickstarter, which is awesome because uh, we just had no idea how niche and you know this weird game would be and it's been awesome to see that more people are loving it um and it's, it's up for a couple of um any's this year at gen Con. yeah oh
0: what's it art art yeah. um maybe layout I, I forget all of them but
1: production value might be one i forget yeah,
0: yeah. I, maybe unique setting
1: oh i think it might be yeah because yeah, that's I, definitely i, like...
0: <laughs> I know I, I was looking at it the other day but i was like trying to like get everything in my head uh, in those viewing, you can kind of almost see all my invisible sun books yeah. back there with the, the box on my left. Uh, so, definitely an amazing game. Um, with a, you know, it's enchanting, has a unique setting. Um, but I do have to ask so, the, yeah. the buying for the game is yeah. more than the average role playing game. Um, why was it presented in such a fashion? And I guess for those who are like, oh, I don't know maybe what would be like your 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 home run pitch (laughs) to bring them in
1: i love it yeah so uh so i would say that the the reason it came to life in the way that it did uh I, i think at its core is that um magic is cool full stop right like nobody's gonna argue that magic is uncool um and that like uh so, so in a game of like Dungeons and Dragons, you might have a wizard, you might have a sorcerer, you've got a warrior, you've got um, some cl- character classes that can use magic and some that can't. Um, they might have access to kind of different spells, but um, you know, it, it means that some people are engaging with magic and some people aren't, and that's great. That's super fun. Sometimes I don't want to deal with magic, but what Monty wanted to do, I think, um, in a major way, was was create a game in which um, magic felt like this wild, unpredictable, um, like unique and infinitely uh, changing and, and uh, infinite discovery like element. Right. You want, you know, he's, he's phrased it as like, you know, a game that makes magic feel magical. Right. And so uh, you know, Everybody can engage with some kind of magic in Invisible Sun. Um, you have your Vances who like capture spells like living things in their heads and use Vancean casting, kind of like D D, but they they map out uh, physical spells um, on these cards in their like mind space. And uh, if you if you lo- really love a spell, you can like uh, you can. You know, fold it over in half and physically bend the card and have it take up half space. Um, There are goetics where you're summoning things and there are all these different ways that you can um, engage with like demons and angels and ghosts and convince them to do your bidding. There are um, uh, the weavers, which are great for like improvisational players that like don't want to pick from a list of options. They want to like make something new and unique each time. And so they're weaving together the concept of, you know, um, like, Like sound from the concept of thunder, and they're weaving together, um, like uh, travel or something from the concept of infinity, right? And and they'll create a spell that uh, creates a big boom and and zoops you ahead a few paces, right? Uh, And like so, so there's sort of like your class-based magic. There's also you know hundreds of cards of individual cool spells you can pick from, just general spells. So you can have this hodgepodge of weird abilities. Um, And then you can unlock secrets, which are like, I want to talk to ants. I can talk to ants now. What a weird (laughs) character secret. Uh, There's one, you know, where, um, you know, there are all these secrets you unlock if you die. There's a whole other part of the game about becoming a more powerful ghost and engaging with weird ghostly magics and there's the sooth deck which is representing how magical currents are ebbing and flowing constantly making it making you look at your options and your 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 capabilities differently with each you yeah. know turn of combat with each scene and so uh that's just like explaining why there's a bunch of weird subsystems around magic but like it it really is cool right and 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 so this would be it, way too complex a system if you didn't have all the player aids that Monty built in here. Um, it's just like, if you want wild magic options um, and you don't want to do in, in, like mad calculus and have to build all these tools for yourself for your own reference, yeah. Monty wanted to make it easy and fast and fun. And so he, and so that's a, a huge reason of why the tactile elements and then you know the other side of it. So there's sort of like weird magic, making it magical, making it mysterious. Uh, physical componentry goes a long way to that. But there's also the fact that like, you know, I think he's he was just thinking about the way that we play a lot of games online. There's like way more games available now. There's cool one-page RPGs. I love like lasers and feelings. You know, there's all there. You know, Honey Heist. All kinds of like really zany, cool, low-fi. Games out there that you can play online, that you can play at the drop of a hat, it's super cool. Um, but like, there's also so we, we've been. I feel like the the industry has been designing toward kind of like low-fi, cool, light, quick, zany stuff, and that's awesome, and I yeah. love it, and I play a lot of it. But like, what would a game? Built exclusively for the physical experience look like is kind of the design constraint of Invisible Sun and so it's it's thinking about that that six-fingered hand that's behind you right it holds a sooth card so everyone can see it um, it's it's super atmospheric you know people like uh, you know people who get those like uh, mysterious package company puzzles like it has that tactility yeah. that, that joy of mystery and tactility and pulling out weird new props and getting just your mind blown again and again as it keeps unfolding more secrets for you to explore so that's like why physical right um and we have released a a pdf uh, only version of it it is outrageous and it has so many files and it's a like messy beautiful complicated beast uh but it's really useful for um there are some people who are playing it online right like I've, I've guessed it in it online and it's kind of a pain, <laughs> but it's, it's doable. And it's, you know, people make exceptions all the time, but it really does sing when you can touch it. Um, and I think people like some people will gravitate more toward that tactility and some people, it won't matter as much to them. And that's totally fine. Um, and then I guess if I, if I want to give the selling point, right. So I think the pre-order is, I'm not actually sure what it's pre-ordering for. Let me look just Ooh, yeah. cause. So, if we're going to compare to sort of the granddaddy of RPGs, right, Dungeons and Dragons, um, when we talk about price point, uh, if you if you want to if you want everything that a gaming group needs to play, you're going to want at least a player's guide, probably more. Uh, at least in my experience, because if you're even if you're sharing it at a table, mm-hmm. nobody wants to wait <laughs> for one copy. So, a player's guide, a, D- a dungeon master's guide, and probably a monster manual for lots of beasties. Uh, There's plenty of other books D&D is happy to sell you, not to mention dice and notebooks and uh, some people use like spell cards. But even if you just keep it to sort of the three books, those are retailing about 50 bucks a pop, which is $150, sort of bare, bare minimum. Uh, Invisible Sun is pre-ordering for $250, uh, 252. Uh, The pre-order currently comes with all of it in PDF, which won't be forever, so that's a pretty sweet gig already. And what I love about it is, it has all these beautifully printed character tomes. It has these character handouts sheets. It has dice. It has tokens. Like it has, you know, the GM notebook, and it has props and stationery. Like oh my gosh! (laughs) And it has over a thousand cards in it. Right? It's just, uh, it is so much material um, and like really really beautiful stuff, and then like carefully, you know, made and pretty, you know gosh, what is it like? At least five, five books in there. And I think more. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's see. Yeah. Four books for the base. And then there's, yeah. there's three more books
1: and there's an art book and there's a yes. cloth map, uh, two cloth maps, uh, no, a cloth map and a cloth like diagram of the path of suns it comes with that big hand. Uh, it just like um, I, it is a high price tag and like I have, as a, as a biology grad student, um, <laughs> I did not kickstart this when it came out because I was like, that is, I would love to play it. I cannot afford it. I, I understand you. Uh, but what I did was I went in on it with, um, you know, James D'Amato. I actually messaged a few friends of mine. I was like, okay, could we get a group together and I'll pitch in a little bit since we'll all be using the components. And so I contacted my friend Mika and James D'Amato. And James was like, let's stream it and so uh he had wet yes. shot in it which was perfect so ideally get james damato to buy the game <laughs> i don't know <laughs> uh, or, or buy the game and, and let you play with him uh that's been my solution but uh we, we even do have like a group purchase bundle to sort of help people out um who are trying to uh all sort of chip in and get some like uh, little goodies for themselves as well like um there's the for people who like want some experience of it but don't aren't sure if they want the whole thing uh some people have been getting the secrets of silent streets book which i suspect you have back there yep. <laughs> just to get a taste of the setting so it's it's just a book packed full of cool setting material about the city of Saturnine and so a lot of people have been checking that out as sort of a do i love this world if yes then i can go in and still use this book if not then it's a cool yeah, book it's full a good of art
0: for any like if you're running any role-playing game it's a good book to draw stuff from
1: oh yeah so totally yeah it's <laughs> it's like not you know not much crunch there it's really there for like cool story elements for you um and then the other thing is there's like Vislay kits which are uh sort of a a mm-hmm. little rectangular prism that pops open and has like extra character sheets extra dice so um i know like <laughs> one of the problems um some friends of mine were having they were like okay like I know I want. I want to be able to touch something from Invisible Sun. Like I can't bear to be a player. Like it doesn't make sense to get the whole cube, but like I want some of that fun tactility yeah. for myself. And so we are selling like the Sooth deck by itself, which is super sweet and I love. Uh, and like the Visley kit. So um, this, yeah. this is my rant. I could rant about Invisible Sun all day. I mean,
0: it's it's an amazing. Me. game. Sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's you a great you. game. Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh. Um, so, actually, Davidson925 uh, yeah. says, have you actually seen anyone bin one of the Vance
1: cards? Uh, no. <laughs> I have not. Um, but I also haven't played with a Vance yet, have I? Because there's, you know, I when I played with um, the Raven Wants What You Have, we had a yeah. Baker, we had an Apostate, who's me, which mm-hmm. was so fun and I loved. Apostates are so cool. Oh, they're so cool. Uh, love it. Um, yeah, we didn't I haven't played with the Vance yet, which is heartbreaking. I guess I did play with um I played with my my roommate John Harness, who's an awesome like game designer in his own right. Uh, he guested on A Woman with Hollow Eyes uh, season two, but he like I don't know if we didn't have the Vance cards yet or something, or we didn't have the full black cube. I feel like he wrote all his spells on like sheets, snippets of paper. And, oh res- my. and so like, <laughs> he was a high level uh, Vance, but I he did not bend a real card to do it. So I'm excited. Like, I want to see pictures when someone.
0: Yeah, like, I, I want to see mm, that too. That's, mars uh, it. ooh, that, that, that'd be tough <laughs> for me to do. <laughs>
1: um i think they did we did something where you can just get the like extras of the cards um so i i think i forget where it is um if basically if your dog eats like a bunch of the cards um from from the black cube uh we have something in place where you can like print up extras um yeah i I think you might have to like i think it might be a like get all of it at once i forget how it works (laughs) i when we played season one of uh a woman with hollow eyes. Um, I like printed up through drive-through RPG. Like I printed on, like you know, you know, yeah. our own dime a whole set of those cards, and it came to like a hundred bucks. So when I look at the price tag of the black cube, and it's only two fifty, I'm like a hundred dollars is what I spent on some of the cards. <laughs> ah!
0: Yeah, and I'm really excited about uh, was it book ends uh, extra cards
1: yeah i haven't gotten to sift through them yet they, i still have them in like the plastic but like i'm i'm ready did you bust them out yet
0: no i i am in the same position okay
1: <laughs> i can't wait to yeah i need i need to break them open yeah. um and there's even uh there's the directed campaign i don't know if you're familiar with that I, I am
0: familiar i have yet to i was in a game where we were doing the directed campaign did a couple Ooh. of sessions it was super awesome okay, super good. interesting uh but we kind of like moved away so
1: yep sad. Oh, so uh, that was um, so the directed campaign also has some like, some cool like goodies that get shipped to people uh, as, as part of it. So it's, it's both like, um, kind of cool things that could be happening in your world and, and different choices you make mean you'll get different, um, like packets of um, information and places and things and events, mm-hmm. as well as like, some cool some, some really really cool physical like props and like extra cards and i won't say much more because <laughs> i'm probably not allowed to spoil what exactly yeah. comes in the directed campaign but it's cool stuff so now i'm like i want to play with those cards know, someone's got to run too. invisible sun for me <laughs>
0: oh man yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah, i've only been in one game and i've been uh gming it but as a gm it is it is one of the most like Satisfying games, the GM for oh, just so many oh, options. Oh,
1: good! I'm really glad. What do you like most about it? <laughs>
0: for me, I like the uh, the surrealism. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, something that you're just like, um, you know, you can think of anything, and you could have a reason for it to be a part of the game and part mm-hmm. of the story. Yeah, um, and it's just a. I also kind of like the the progressiveness of the game. Right, you could be anything. You can do yeah. anything. It's all out there.
1: And it, it puts the players behind the driving wheel in a lot of ways that I like. Um you know, when I when I come to a session, you know, when I was trying to like quickly wrap up certain arcs of, of a woman with hollow eyes, <clears throat> there I, there were certain things I knew I wanted to touch on before the, the season ended. And so mm-hmm. I, I came came in with a heavier hand than is really intended for Invisible Sun. But when I've when I've played you know, elsewise, like, I just ran a a little, like, one shot for some friends in Chicago, and, uh, I came in, and I was like, okay, like, I could have them, like, go here, and there's this festival, and, like, everything, literally everything I prepped, I left behind, because I was, I was just sort of trying to send an opening scene, and I was like, okay, like, where do you, you know, we've done a little, like, um, a quick short version of like the first session where you build each other's neighborhoods. One of my absolute yeah. favorite parts of musical fun. So oh my God. <laughs> so cool. I could talk about it all day, but I won't. Um, so we had done that. And I was like, okay, so like, where do you guys hang out? Where, where do we find you as we open on the scene? And one of the players, uh, uh, uh Char, who's really active on the discord and who does really great, like layout work, um, mm-hmm. for cool cipher system supplements. Shar was like, Oh, well, we're at my house and I'm throwing a murder mystery party and uh, we're actually looking for the body of a ghost in my house. And if we don't find it by date, by sun, sun up, uh, someone in the house will die. And I was like, thank you, Char, for giving me a one <laughs> shot. Like, that's what we're doing now. Um, yeah, it's just like, Because I think the players have their character arcs that they are pursuing, and sort of can look at their sheet and be like, "Oh yeah, I am. I'm still trying to like establish a business or make this friendship." They, you know, when I ask them what they want to do, they have like clear objectives that they're working toward, Um, and also like they've got all these cool world building content content that they've built from the first session, right? They've got NPCs they care about and. Uh, local issues that they care about and that that weird neighbor who they're very suspicious of (laughs) that like you know those hooks that they build they're like desperate to pursue and so they there's so much energy behind each player it just rocks
0: definitely it was one of my favorite I think my first short-term goal and I I look to a my the person I'll ride I'm like is to fall in love and (gasps) you're you're the person I I plan to yes cute
1: (laughs) oh my gosh Was this in the the, the session the sixth episode one that you played?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, for that one, yeah. Cool.
1: <laughs> did you get very far in it?
0: I did. So I, um, you know, we, we were we were building a, a budding romance. Uh, oh. He and I, and it was. <laughs> we were going places, and then.
1: Oh my God! Yeah. Now I'm really heartbroken. Please, development mode the rest of your relationship and put it online <laughs> so I can read it. Because I'm just heartbroken, broken hearing about it.
0: <laughs> oh, the romance of the ages, as he was sucked away and never to be seen again. Oh my ah.
1: goodness! <laughs> Beautiful.
0: Yeah, and that's I think one of the the cool things about uh, Invisible Sun is having these almost. Um, mundane like storylines in a very surreal fantastical world uh when you're like yeah you know keys are falling out of the sky but you know what i'm really hoping is that i can deliver these roses to to my friend down the street
1: (laughs) i I think those those that duality sweetens each other so well Mm -hmm. like you know the the vast weirdness of the world gets to feel weirder when you do very have very mundane tasks to sort of projected against and like I don't know something about I, I like the game I somehow like players who I would not have expected to get so into some of the more mundane plot lines absolutely dive in with full feet you know um for this game and so something about the way it's set up really lets you have both worlds and lets them feed off of each other in great ways
0: definitely Ugh, love it uh so davidson says every other friday darcy come on over if you want to play uh invisible sun
1: uh, uh hop on the plane <laughs> and,
0: i'm so excited yeah and south said uh you could always play it on on here or i can run it for you
1: uh very tempting <laughs> yeah uh, so
0: anytime <laughs>
1: oh goodness i'm in <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, So you were talking about kind of jumping all over to this other place. (laughs) Um, There is a recent trend in recent games of exploring themes other than those typical of a fantasy game. Mm.
1: Um,
0: Like uh, depression, loss, parenting, uh, for example. For GMs Mm. who are also interested in exploring a different side of storytelling, what advice would you give them?
1: Ooh, very cool. Uh, I think... So, you know, I'll start with the standard advice of kind of getting buy-in from your players and and understanding where your where your lines and your veils might be, right? So, um, I might be interested in. So, uh, I'm trying to think of what I can say without uh, any stream spoilers. (laughs) Um, So, when I had a player uh, who had a really cool romance with an NPC, um, in in a in sort of as we as we returned. To that that storyline, I saw that relationship as something that I could like threaten in a really interesting way, right? That's a that's an emotional hook I can now pull on now that there's an established relationship. Yeah. Um, And I wanted to play with that because I I think um, there were dangerous things about, and I wanted to pull on things that were important to the player. Uh, But I, I I told them sort of off stream like I am not going to kill or take away that that person. That person is safe. Mm-hmm. Um I, I know that I've alluded that dangerous things are happening, um, but I will not GM fiat bad like devastating bad things happening to that character. Yeah. And so I sort of set up a line, right? I, I was like, okay, this is the line that I'm not willing to cross because, like, that's not the story I want to tell. That would just be too sad for me.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and like, if if he, you know, decided, hey, actually, I do want to go there, then I might open it up. But like, I I really liked that relationship and I wanted to keep it, so I just talked to my players about some sort of lines in the sand I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also veils, right, where. There are things that can happen, but we I just don't want to like live them on screen. And so um, that might be things like 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 sex, right? Like you're having a sexy time, you have a hot date, and we like close the veil yeah, on that. And we know that they're having, exactly. The <laughs> sock is on the door and we walk away, right? We, you know, you can have that internal experience of thinking about it, but uh, we're not going to play that out on screen. <laughs> Same with like intense violence and stuff. Um, and you know, things with like parenting, right? Like. Um, you know, a lot of people can have like you know different experiences with their own parents, with trying trying to be a, become a parent, or you know you know uh, a lot of people have obviously intense emotional reactions around those things, and sort of finding like. What's the tone of the game that we're going to explore these themes in? Right, is parenting like a, is it going to be the like cute vignettes of like a a budding parent and then like uh, adorable like missteps, but no like real crises, or are we getting into the the deeper kind of harder stuff? Um, And then so I think setting up those kind of lines and veils is really helpful. Um, I'm I'm also trying to think. I'm I'm sure there are people uh, more experienced than me, so I. I would, I would probably ask around for some more advice if it were me diving into some of those. Um, and I guess like there's the initial setup and then there's also kind of X card in the moment, how do we curate how things are going, right? Um, so like checking in with your players, knowing that your players have sort of a button they can press to be like, ooh, Actually, like, let's let's step away from this. This is getting too intense.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know my group and uh, a few mm-hmm. others, especially in some of the recent games, use like the X card, uh, which I think has been an amazing uh, new thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, and um, I've also heard of groups using um, like red, yellow, and green. Sort of like red is like, oh my gosh, I'm out. Like, stop. We need to stop this scene or stop this game, um, and I need a break. Yeah. Yellow is like. Uh, we're doing okay, but like don't escalate. And green is like, you could tap it if you're like, uh, I'm in character yelling at you and I want to know if you're okay. <laughs> you can be like, oh yeah. Uh, LARPers have a really handy tool that I've totally appropriated, um, which is okay. Check-in. So, um, I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm going to mis explain this a little bit, but, uh, if I'm, if I'm speaking in character to you, Mitch, and I'm, uh, you know, we're really getting into it, either something like intensely emotional or intensely, um, you know, maybe I'm really mad at you. And so I'm speaking these things in character and maybe my facial expressions are, are also in character or maybe they're not, you know, Mitch, are, are you looking at me as your character or as Mitch looking horrified? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so without breaking the flow of the narrative, I could go, uh, Hey, are you, um, or I could go, uh, Hey, are you okay? Um, so I could still be speaking and go, Hey, are you okay? And you could either flash back you know, Oh, Oh yeah, I'm good. Keep it coming. <laughs> Keep it you coming. could, you know, you can do sort of, okay, but like, you know, don't escalate, or you could do like tone it down, tone it down. Right. So there's all these not, I'm, I'm fascinated by like nonverbal ways that we can sort of curate the narrative. Um, I'm yeah. sure there are more tools, but yeah, uh, I'm,
0: I'm very curious. Cause, uh, I, I was LARPing, uh, for, for a long time. Oh, cool. Um, and that's definitely a, a part. Cause I remember, um, um, a larper coming over and crying at my character and i'm like are you okay yeah. because it was real tears yeah. so i was like are you okay yeah. just like yeah yes part of it i was like okay yeah, and right even like for me it was uncomfortable because i'm like oh she's crying
1: <laughs> oh oh yeah and and maybe that's a thing that like you need to like, yeah, do right like... like to some extent i don't i don't know how well i could keep in character right um uh my i've also seen sort of the like the out of character symbol these sort of um yeah. You know, I'm I'm speaking and I'm speaking out of character. Uh, there's also there's one that's a player used, where they did something that was like, I'm I'm telepathically telling you, which comes up in like Numenera and Invisible Sun. You know, I'm I'm saying this, but uh, or I'm you know reading your mind. I forget what the symbol. Yeah, was. Oh, yeah, I,
0: I know for for our LARP we would do this.
1: Oh, okay, like cool, yeah, yeah. and and that's like I'm yeah. te- telepathing to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> I love that. I need like. Um, I, I'm wondering if that's covered. There's some really good LARP guides that I, I need to just read properly. Um, uh, the American Guide to Freeform is a great one by Lizzie Stark. Uh, and I'm sure there's more uh, more books that, that deal with some of this tech. Yeah, but it seems definitely. very, like, group-specific. You know, mm-hmm. people have their different techniques.
0: Oh, yeah, it can. And, like, just going to another place and you're like, oh, what do you do? Like, I've had some people, like, this isn't O.L.'s character. And they'll do something else. And it's yeah. like yeah. Just adapting to everyone's LARPing or, or LARPing culture. Yeah. Uh, so, DM by uh, actually has a question. Do you have a theater background uh, or anything? They are considering doing some improv to become a better GM or role player.
1: Oh, so cool. So, um, I don't have much of a theater background. I was uh, like, I, you know, I was in theater tech and pretty bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I took a little bit of improv back in high school. Um, but, but yeah, I don't have a lot of theater experience or improv experience, but um, I am fascinated by the, the, the tools that we can learn from improvisers. And there's actually a really great book. There's a couple of books that just came out that are on my like shelf, shelfy right now, <laughs> waiting to be read. One is um, Improv for Gamers. And so it's a really cool series of like improv techniques and tools for, for you as a player or a GM to, to basically do exactly what you're saying. Um, uh, DM buyer, uh, like, you know, skills that you can build up, um, warm up tools that you can use. And then there's also um, the the ultimate RPG character creation guide by James D'Amato, which uses a bunch of like improv tools to help you think about um, developing a really cool character, which is something I personally struggle with. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that. And then he's got a new um, like series of exercises, I think possibly for the GM coming out soon. So check out James Damato. One of the best tools that I've I've been introduced to recently, uh, and I just I'm like dying to share it. Uh, is like is this exercise to um, to walk to walk down like a hallway like your character would walk. Okay, so like <laughs> it's really weird, but like let's say you've just created a character, you're trying to like figure out kind of who they are, how you how you role play them. And uh, and the exercises that everybody like takes an opportunity to sort of exaggeratedly walk like their character would, and like there's just not that much you can do when you're walking unless you're getting really big with it. But um, there's there's uh, I he- recently heard an improviser talking about the way that even small physical changes can sort of have this cascading effect about how you carry the rest of the character. So yeah. um, this improviser uh, was telling me like when he writes th- when he's trying to role play NPCs. Uh, he'll jot down like a physical characteristic of theirs. And so it could be, uh, you know, straight shoulder. It could be hunched. It could be slow speaking. It could be uh, sneers, right? And so even though these are like very specific, you know, pretty minor features, it it embodies the character in all these other ways. When you When you start to hunch, you're going to change your voice a little bit. And it's easier to remember to hunch than it is to like somehow write yeah. down specific cadence and all that
0: yeah i mean for me i i definitely when i started streaming i went to improv class and i I think one of the most important things to learn from improv and stuff like that is just breaking down these barriers that prevent you from being silly because you're going to be silly Uh, in a role-playing game whether you're doing voices you're it's going to be silly it's going to look silly
1: that is such a good point yeah and like silly walking down a hallway great way to just shake off the Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So many warm-up exercises for (laughs) improvisers are kind of just getting weird, just get weird and go there. And now you've, you've been maximum weird and anything you do today will be a little easier.
0: Go, go (laughs) max weird. All right. So we are coming up on an hour of five, and I know you have a very important, uh, stream coming up, uh, very soon. Uh, Mm -hmm. so what do you have as your last closing, uh, statements, um, to all those here?
1: Goodness. Um, <laughs> my last closing statement, I think, is uh, is that um, my cat's going to break in. So hello, Chewy. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Good job. Um, I think my, my last thing that I want to say is that um, RPGs are wild, cool, collaborative storytelling experiences that you can bring so many different kinds of expertise in. You can do art. You can do improv. Uh, there's, you know, it's this very dynamic, um, activity and what's great about it is that you can always be improving at something. You can always be trying to add some new tool. And so I guess my, my homework for everybody is to, um, is to try and think about a new thing that they could work on or a new technique that they could try out and they don't have to love, you know, next time you game, uh, you know, go for speaking more in character or, um. You know, see if you could could uh, think about like talking to another player about having a romance arc with them. Right. Mm -hmm. Kind of try out these things that might scare you, because I think you'll you'll learn a lot. And there's just an endless, endless amount of um, diverse experiences that we can have. And like, I'm just so hungry to have them all. And I want you to have as many as you can and tell me about it because I have a finite time on this earth. So (laughs) go out and have weird games, folks
0: all right you heard it darcy (laughs) rost with the go be weird go game
1: (laughs) (laughs) go have your best games ever exactly (laughs) exactly
0: uh so yeah darcy thank you so much for for being on the show i really appreciate it and you know have a wonderful stream and uh i know i'll be at gen con hope to see everyone else at gen con uh and definitely I believe you'll be there too, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: (laughs) We've got some really cool stuff. Um, If you're at all interested in MCG, come to an evening with MCG. It's a ticketed event, but it's a cool, like, intimate time where you can hang out with me and the rest of the team. And uh, we make it really special. It's in this cool, weird basement. It's awesome. Come to it. It's Friday. (laughs) There's a
0: basement and it's Friday. You'll love it. (laughs) It'll be amazing. I'll
1: probably be cosplaying.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. All right, guys. Thank you very much. And you guys have a wonderful day.
1: Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye.